Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Great to have you here for today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Murph, you're a clown. Ken, you are a buffoon. I'm sorry if there's too much honesty there for you, but this, what? you have stepped into a trash-talking special on today's show. Who hasn't been shouting their mouth off in the sports world and beyond this week? And it's easier to find the ones that, that happen, to be honest, which is Tyson Fury, Conor McGregor, a little bit of Sarah Palin thrown in for good measure. <laughs> we, we just start with Sarah Palin. Let's play a bit of Sarah Palin. Right-wing and bitter, clinging, proud clingers of our guns, our God, our, and our religions. <laughs> sorry, what? Uh, six seconds is the absolute maximum of that we should play. She, uh, yeah, sorry. Well. Yeah, I watched yeah. the 20 minutes of it. Did you watch all 20 minutes? That's oh, amazing. What, what? <laughs> well, I find it genuinely incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the quality of discourse in this entire Republican... Uh, nomination process is stupendously low. They keep making it worse every with every passing electoral cycle. It's, it's beyond belief. Like there's no depth to which it cannot go. I mean, that's the front runner in the race standing there proudly. Well, he's endorsed by. You know what was the phrase that you read? Oh, Dave Shitting wrote this excellent piece in the Guardian, the U.S. version of the Guardian, in which he, very, in, in a very detailed manner took apart all, all 20 minutes again he got through all 20 as well mm. and he says they describe Palin as a human being who, who speaks like a comment thread underneath a YouTube video that's, you know that's what you're talking about and, and like I watched the debate they had a debate like last last week or maybe the week before and I, it was one of these you know two in the morning starts I was watching it you know hypnotised but like after three and I was like I don't think I can go to bed I have to keep watching this this because it was amazing it was like is somebody at any point going to say something true in this entire debate every single thing they said was a lie it was, you am- idiot. It was, it was, it was amazing you know it was like well I, I I don't I don't understand how it can have reached this point they're lying about absolutely everything on there uh, up there and I don't believe that they Believe sincerely it. believe what they're saying. Well, I mean, the, both of the both views are almost apocalyptic. One, they believe it, and that's terrible. Yeah. Or two, they don't believe it, and they're willing to stand up in front of two hundred and fifty million people and say stuff that they don't believe, and that's just horrendous. 
because they think it it works because they think they'll because there's a constituency the out there for those lies. That's the real. I just, I, I, find, I find it bizarre. But I, I mean, I, it seems to me as though it's kind of taking place almost in a cage. It's like, it, it's irrelevant. You know, it seems like this isn't. Well, until this Trump isn't reality. wins the Republican nomination. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think he can actually win. Do you? But the presidential race? Ah, surely not. <laughs> I don't things know what, aren't that, I don't that crazy. Know, I don't know what to think anymore, Ken. Yeah, I know that he doesn't use a teddy prompter. That was one of the things that Sarah Palin was slagging Obama over and. Her speech there. Well, it's just if you if you if you want to you know get Sometimes your point if across. You've got, if you've you know, got a if you've complex got a, point, <laughs> if you've got a point you'd like to make. You and and yeah, it's important. Clearly. It's important. I think we've all learned this on TV ourselves from time to time. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need a teleprompter, as they call it in America. Yeah. Auto cue, as you might call it here. Mm. Sometimes you do. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes it's important. Just it. Not everybody time is has often a, limited. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there's maybe there's not a whole lot of time for you to stand there looking down the barrel of a camera trying to figure out what word sums up your feelings best at that particular moment. What was Trump doing just standing there, by the way? Yeah. Surely at some point you, you shuffle off, just standing there looking like an idiot. That, yeah. that bit where she goes, uh, fire! And oh, then yeah. Trump is like firing an imaginary <laughs> you know, sort of finger gun. Oh man, it's unbelievable. Shilling called it the, the that's a journalist I referenced there, reference there, the I have a dream speech for idiots. I have tweeted that Dave Schilling piece, so it's well worth having a read. Uh, but did Sarah Palin's speech make more or less sense than this from Conor McGregor about his next Brazilian opponent, Rafael dos Anjos? He's comparing him here to Jose Aldo. So just the first, it's a short clip, but the first person he's talking about is his previous opponent, Aldo, and he's, he's making a slightly strange comparison here. Seeing how, how he handles himself, how his team handles himself, they never learned the language of the oppressor. This guy in, in Brazilian lingo is a gringo and that is that is the truth it's a little rhyme there classic little rhyme from conor mcgregor so he is accusing dos años of essentially not being true to his people of brazil by speaking english the yeah. language of the oppressor i don't know i didn't realize that the english did necessarily oppress brazilians did they uh, <laughs> the, or, or, or did americans uh, well i think the yankees you know I think the Yankees are renowned throughout the South American continent as, as you know, being partial to a bit of oppression from yeah. time, from time <laughs> to time. I don't think that's what language is McGregor talking about? I mean, if, if, <laughs> if, if, like, like if we're the the most oppressed nation of all time, I'm, I'm struggling to find anyone other than the English that he could possibly be talking about there. But, you know, well, yeah, I suppose we we also lapped up the language of the oppressor, but it's so useful. You know, it's so mm. useful to us in terms of going out and. Uh, working around around the world and the mm. way that we the way that we do. I don't know, it's it's obviously his his angle for this one is this guy Dos Anjos because he moved to America and lives there and sp- and learned to speak English is um you know a, but, uh, essentially has betrayed, betrayed his country. Brazil. Yeah. Which yeah. Yeah. yeah, he sold it he sold out Brazil and I have to book him a hotel when he goes there and so on because you know he doesn't have a his house isn't there, kind of thing. It's going to be awkward next time Conor McGregor meets Robbie Keane, isn't it? <laughs> Why? How, how do you mean? Well, Robbie Keane's betrayed his, the land of it. He hasn't lived in Ireland for 20 years. <laughs> hasn't lived Next in time he's in California. Tyson Fury went more Little old. Robbie. Little Robbie over there. Oh, yeah. Tyson. Speaking in an American accent. Is he? Uh, well, no, actually, apparently, no. It's more it's more crumbling. I don't know. Maybe he just does that when he's at home, though. I'd say he probably speaks with an American accent when he goes to school. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, wouldn't you? <sighs> Well, maybe it's kind of a Steve McLaren thing. You know, he's just trying to help the Americans understand what he's saying. Yeah, I'd I'd say. uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to do it. It's not like you can walk around with subtitles underneath you. You would have to speak American in order to be understood by them. Want to hear more trash talk? 
Mm. Yes, yeah, Tyson Fury. He went. Tyson Fury went more old school in his approach. His fellow world champion Deontay Wilder just knocked out Arthur Spilka last weekend. He was in the process of doing his post-fight interview. There's only one Tyson Fury. What you got to say about that, Deontay? What you got to say about Hold that, my man? Hold on a second. Let's keep this civil here. This is just an act, baby. You're not a real fighter. This is an act. I don't put. I don't play this. I don't play this. As you can see, baby, I'm from, I don't play this, man. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But when we do step in this ring, this ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. When you do step in this ring with me, if you do, because this could have been done a long time ago, you can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want. But, baby, I promise you, when you step in the ring, I will baptize you. <laughs> nice line from Wilder, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking of the Book of Mormon now, actually. I will baptize you. Deontay Wilder did own that particular exchange. So when he's saying, you can hear him there saying, it's not the WWE, man, what are you doing? At that point, uh, Fury is walking around the ring, try, taking his jacket off, coming back, trying to, uh, you know, let me at him kind of stuff, mm. which was, I'm sure Tyson Fury would argue, all part of the plan. But to me, it looked like, actually, he much preferred the... Uh, taunting of Vladimir Klitschko who just sort of stood there and took it and looked slightly bemused wasn't necessarily ready for this guy Wilder to come back at him and to take him down a peg or two mm, I thought the guy definitely uh, came out on top Wilder oh yeah oh no doubt about it it should be worth what do you think of that my man <laughs> so, he, so he comes to the ring shouts out there's only one Tyson Fury what do you think of that <laughs> not the most well thought out he had all day he, in fact he had weeks to think about what mm. he was going to say when he jumped in that ring it should also be mentioned by the way that Wilder's opponent had looked like he was seriously injured it was it could be one of these horrific nights in the ring mm. he'd been stretched out had gone to hospital so it was a very somber post-match scene that Fury inserted himself into the television people were loving it you hear the, the interview there saying oh maybe that was a mistake I'm pretty sure you got what you wanted there when you got Tyson Fury. Come on, now you tell me Wilder just came up with that in the spur of the moment as well. Go around like a preacher, but I will baptize you. Come on, <laughs> that's too good. It's too good. If this guy was really that good off the bat like that, I would have heard of him before. <laughs> you know, the name of Wilder would not just be... Yeah. You know, he, he actually read it off a teleprompter. Mm. Yeah. He had it all ready to go on. Well, Dos Anjos speaks English, so McGregor might actually get something coming back the other way now for a change, which would be uh, nice. He's not a trash talker. No. No, he's not a trash talker. He just speaks I will truth, make you all. sad, is what he said. <laughs> so it could be argued. So, so was, I, I think McGregor still has this one, to be honest. But anyway. It could be argued, and indeed is argued, that it's in a fighter's best interest to be as antagonistic as possible in order to sell their fights. But I'm not sure what the motivation of the Denver Broncos players is this week. They've spent pretty much the entire week just slagging off Tom Brady. So the Broncos play the Patriots on Sunday for a place in the Super Bowl. Antonio Smith... One of their defensive players was asked at the Broncos training facility yesterday if it would be fair to label Brady a crybaby. What's the answer to that, Murph? What's the correct football yeah. player speak answer to that? He is a uh, four-time Super Bowl champ. I've got the highest respect for <laughs> Tom Brady, but uh, we're going to go out there on Sunday. We're going to try to take his head off, man. That would be an accurate statement, says Antonio Smith, about the crybaby part. <laughs> I've never seen any quarterback look to the referee right after he gets sacked more than Brady. Every time he gets sacked, he looks at the ref like... You see him sack me? Was that supposed to happen? He did it a little hard. Please throw a 15-yard penalty on him. Get him fined. This is what he says, Brady says. Malik Jackson was put to him. Hey, your, your teammate's going to shoot his mouth off there about Brady. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, Brady is a whiner, though. He throws temper tantrums. We all, we all know that. Everyone knows this. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if I was a quarterback and I was sacked, the referee would be also the first person I would look to afterwards, whether or not I felt it had been, you know, 
justifiable or legitimate hit or not. Mm. I mean, is that not stand? Does, it, does everybody not do that? Nah, some of them tend to, particularly the newer. I think the the younger guys seem to. A lot of them, I think, accept they're going to be sacked and tackled. You see guys like Russell Wilson who will go on a 10, 15 yard run and actually dive head first for first downs as opposed to Tom Brady who's a classic old school quarterback in that he drops to the pocket. Ideally, he likes a lot of protection and then get an, an amazing pass off. Yeah. I'm not saying the man is soft, Ken. I'm just yeah. saying that he probably doesn't like getting sacked too much whereas some of the others don't seem Well, to. you know, I think some of these other guys maybe got to look at Tom Brady. I mean, he's 53 years old. So, <laughs> Tom Brady, 53 years you old. You know, maybe one day when they're... He always a, lied about his age. A silver fox like uh, Tom Brady, a wily cunning old fox, uh, they might realize that sometimes if you're, you know, playing a really competitive sport like that, it pays to pull all the strings you can pull and so you maybe think the make Broncos the most right. advantages you can make. So you think the Bron- Broncos are right to be ramming this down Tom Brady's throat in advance of their 30-point beating they'll take at the weekend? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I suppose the doesn't make that much difference to the outcome. Um, but if they can draw attention to it, I mean, it's what Jose Mourinho would do. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's right, but oftentimes the things he does are effective. We're going to talk to US Murph about that today. And ESPN's Jason Sowell will be on to chat about the McElroy speed rivalry that's going to define the golfing year. Kicked off in Abu Dhabi today. The trash-talking element of this one, lads? Oh, yeah, go on. Ooh, check out these incendiary quotes after the first round by Speeth talking about McElroy 66. Uh-huh. Careful now. I mean, I don't know if you're of a... Put on the certain... oven mitts there, yeah. uh, Owen. <laughs> Just in case your computer... Oh, go on then, go on. It was a masterclass. The Rory that I've seen in win major championships. It was very impressive today. And minus one or two short puts, which is mainly just rust. It felt like he was on his A game. So you see, that's reverse psychology, which many say is the ultimate in yeah. sledging or trash talk. Yeah. Um, to pr- over the top praise of yeah. how amazing your opponent McElroy's is. is thinking, you dick. Yeah. You know, you didn't, you, you can't possibly think that highly of the round I just hit. You're already trying to psych me out for the rest of the season. You think? No, Maybe he's just I don't really. I'm just trying to keep the trash talk team, team no, going. Just, and, I, and I ran short on these yeah, two guys. They don't really say mean things about each two, other. Two polite middle class boys <laughs> being polite to each other. All right, we're one game away from the Super Bowl. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called! And the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Again, he's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. He's got it. Touchdown. 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 Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Brian Murphy, it's championship weekend. Excited? to a degree ah come on Brian every week we're getting we're going to have to stop these calls soon if you're not going to get excited about these playoffs I am I just to a degree well you know first of all my team's not in it right and plus I'm having a feud with my team too that's a problem is you know when you uh, in my whole sporting life I don't think I've ever been so upset at a team as I have been with the 49ers in the last year or two you know the way they blew up the whole Harbaugh thing and screwed up Jim Tom Sula so that definitely damaged my I kind of like an airplane with a damaged wing trying to land. That's me in the NFL right now. But yes, I, guys, last weekend, the four games, the Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary, the Larry Fitzgerald comeback. Uh, I, I know that was late, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning for you guys. That was just the NFL playoffs at its best. <laughs> you throw in Tom Brady back again, and it's like, okay, this guy's 
uber legend continues to grow and you know you throw in uh, a seahawk ousting the ousting of the seahawks even though they tried to come back and so yeah i definitely had my uh my my fancy was tickled this past weekend sure i, w- yeah. I was in and, and and here we go into conference ship by sunday boys i'll be all in well i'll just tell you this be totally honest like it's between that and taking the murphy family to see the Harlem Globetrotters uh, basketball, you know they come around every winter okay. to the Bay Area, and you know there's nothing like the kids seeing the uh, the bucket of confetti. I don't know how big the Trotters are in Ireland. I wouldn't say they huge. May- <laughs> yeah, well, have you guys been? Either of you? No, no, no. I've heard all been. about them, but no. Uh, what do they do? The so what do they do? They, they just play against themselves. How no, it's it the work? Washington <laughs> Generals, isn't that it? Is this this team? Well, you know it's funny, Kieran. Uh, your knowledge once again is strong. The force is strong with you, but. Mm-hmm. The Washington Generals, in a in a shocking move, have disbanded ah. after losing to the. Uh, they beat the tr- Trotters in like seventy two or seventy three, and so they're on a forty two year losing streak, and they've they've disbanded. So now they're called the World All Stars. So it's a different mm-hmm. uh, team. But yeah, the Globe Trotters are a uh, a team founded in the old vaudeville days, the early nineteen hundreds of entertainment plus sports, and it's they actually get these fabulous athletes and fabulous basketball players who just quite aren't good enough to make it in the NBA. But uh, and and hone these trick shots and trick plays, and they mar- marry it with a vaudeville comedy routine that's eternally entertaining, including the famous. Don't forget the famous. They have a bucket, and they chase around the referee, and they and they and they get to a point where they're gonna they throw a bucket, and it, the referee ducks, and and it's a bucket of confetti, and it falls on a fan, and then they do it later in the show. And they walk, run around with another bucket, and everybody thinks it's confetti, and the referee ducks, and instead it's filled with water. Boom! And they drill a fan. It's like the Three Stooges all over again. <laughs> or uh, So anyway, the point of the story is, is that they're on Sunday at 2 p.m. in the Bay Area. I'd love to take the kids to see the Trotters. It's eternally a classic. But that's smack in the middle of the Patriots, Broncos, Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. So that's my decision. What do I do? Do I go see the bucket of confetti and the bucket of water, or do I see Brady and Manning for the seventeenth time? Oh, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'd I'd often go for yeah. It's it's always I suppose the cliche thing is to recommend going and seeing a live yeah, sporting live event, but it's not really than... a sporting event. Is so this is the plan, Brian? Come on, you must have been won over. We actually funny enough, you mentioned the uh, the. Packers game I and it was on ridiculously late the game previous to that if I remember correctly on Saturday was the Patriots Chiefs so I was watching mm-hmm. I was watching the Patriots game I was enjoying it I was enjoying how pumped up Tom Brady was he was going absolutely insane yeah. high five and all way way more demonstrative than he often is uh, but it was a kind of frustrating game in that the Chiefs were f- fairly useless really but they just stayed in touch cl- they just stayed close enough that I couldn't go to bed they didn't quite ever get out of two score range and they ended up bringing it back to within a score before the Patriots put them away so I thought right we're at one in the morning here I'm not realistically going to stay up till the end of this second game plus how good can it possibly be then I wake up the next morning to see that I missed you know the most dramatic the greatest playoff, playoff, game, playoff ever. game of all time yeah. yeah pretty much one of one of certainly the greatest I think there's no question the greatest throw in NFL history Which that Aaron Rodgers throw I, I put it, I, I'll put it up against anything. It was insane. Not to mention the catch by an obscure seventh round wide receiver from Saginaw Valley State. <laughs> I've never heard of named Jeff Janis. That was an incredible catch. Of course, all for not guys. We talk about the, the dustbin of history. I'm sure you guys have these cases in Ireland. We have a few over here in the States of incredibly heroic things 
that go for naught because the team loses. You know, it's like you can. Uh, th- there are a few of those through the years that you can think of, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy had that great intergalactically, unbelievably famous play, but his team lost. Can you describe the play though, Brian? A lot of people won't be won't be won't have a clue. What no, we're so about uh, so well, the Packers were losing twenty to thirteen. It was kind of a heck of a game, and uh, in that Carson Palmer of the of the Cardinals, who's you know one of these veteran guys, he had one of the longest streaks of never winning a playoff game. So he kind of had that burden of being an old man who'd never won a playoff game, but he had this amazing year and he, you know, everybody thought, okay, this is Palmer's year. They're going to take care of Green Bay because Green Bay's down and out. 20 to 13, it appeared to be over. Well, Packers had the ball on their own four yard line, 96 yards to go, fourth down and 20. Fourth down and 20 from their own four yard line, 55 seconds left. It's over. Good night, Irene. See you later. Don't even think about this thing going on until Aaron Rodgers takes his snap and rolls to his left. Now, guys, it's hard to roll left and throw with your right arm. What does he do? Sets his feet and somehow throws a 60-yard pass down the field that this guy, Jeff Janis, catches. The Packers are alive. They're on the 35-yard line, a 60-yard gain on 4th and 20, <laughs> rolling to his left. He's like, wow, Aaron Rodgers, what a play. And, but the problem is he ran up to the line and tried to get another playoff, and it didn't really work. And so all they had was four seconds left, and they actually lost six yards. They were on the 41-yard line. And it was like, well, all he can do is just throw a Hail Mary, which is what the name that was given to a pass that is thrown desperately high and desperately long into an end zone. It was named originally, I believe, the first use of it, and we'd have to go into the YouTube archives for this, but the first use of it, I believe, was Roger Staubach and the Dallas Cowboys, who I hated when I was a kid in the 70s, did it to my Minnesota Vikings. I love the Vikings because they were my 49ers were terrible. They were never in the playoffs in the 70s, and the only team that had a chance to beat the Cowboys was the Vikings. I like that they played outdoors in the cold, and you could see their breath and all that, and I like their purple uniforms. Purple people and they leaders, had the, of course. Yeah, the purple people leaders. You guys know your stuff. <laughs> and so I thought it was over, and, and Roger Staubach threw a pass at the last second, an absolute prayer of a pass, and was caught, I believe, by Drew Pearson. And after, I don't know if it was him or a writer, and they said it was, I said a Hail Mary and threw the ball, and hence, for the next 40 years, those plays are called Hail Marys. And they're kind of like when you're down to one play and you're 50 yards away, and 99 times out of 100, they fail. The, one t- the times they succeed, you can count them on your hand. Doug Flutie, 1984, Boston College, maybe the most famous of them all. Uh, Aaron Rodgers earlier this year in Detroit on a Monday night game had one that was stunning too. But surely he wouldn't do it again. And as he rolled back, the, the chances decreased dramatically when the pass rush actually got to him and he had to run all the way back to his own 45-yard line. Now he's 55 yards away from the end zone. And now he's rolling to his left again. And now he's running. And there's no way that he can get the ball into the end zone from there, much less anybody's going to catch it. Well, sure enough. Hail Mary touchdown, tie game, overtime, mind blown, incredible, historic, you name it. And what happens? Two more things happen. One, the referees blow the coin flip. That was as big a talking point as anything else. The coin flip for overtime that determines who gets the ball. The guy flipped the coin. It never flipped. (laughs) Guys, how do you flip a coin that doesn't flip? Aaron Rodgers is upset because he says he wants to get a chance to recall the coin flip. But the referee was so embarrassed. He said, I'm just going to flip it again. And. He flipped it again. It went to Arizona, and then Arizona hit another great player named Larry Fitzgerald with a pass. Larry Fitzgerald, who I think we've been together long enough, he had that historic uh, postseason run back in 08 
what a nice guy and a classy player he is to root for. He runs it almost all the way into the end zone. One play later, they score. Arizona eliminates Green Bay. On to face Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers, who have the best record in all of football and have the putative NFL MVP in Cam Newton. So it is quite a delicious Final Four. It really, really is. I mean, Brady and Manning, it's incredible. It's it's like the the Russell versus Wilt, uh, Bird versus Magic uh, of our time uh, in the NFL. I mean, 17 times they've faced each other, six times in the NFC, AFC championship. I mean, it's just it's incredible that we see it one more time. And then on the other side, you get to see young Cam Newton against uh, the, 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 the very the kind of a likable Arizona Cardinals team because their coach is, a, is kind of a bold maverick, Bruce Arians, and, um, and, and Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald. So, yeah, in the course of this conversation, my excitement for the Sunday has gone up. See, Brian, see what we did there? Uh, we stoked <laughs> the fire of your passion for the NFL there. But Carson Palmer, is, he's a very interesting guy because uh, if Brady and Manning came to the NFL in very different ways, Brady was whatever he was, drafted a 99th or 199th or whatever, Peyton Manning, top of the draft. Um, and the two of them, but, but, but once they arrived in the NFL, once they played their first five or six games, they were to the manner born and success came pretty quickly and they've had a, a really lengthy career of excellence in the NFL. Carson Palmer came to the uh, NFL as the top draft pick, but then had, up until maybe the last two years, just a really difficult time of it. He's drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Bengals were terrible. He couldn't do anything to change it. Went to the Raiders uh, after he ret- had to retire, effectively, from the NFL to get out of his contract with the Bengals. Um, and you know, it, it, it all of it, basically the last thirteen or fourteen years of his NFL career are maybe a prelude to the next two weeks, where at the age of thirty-six maybe he goes and, and wins a Super Bowl. But it's strange if you look at his career arc compared to the arc of Brady and Manning, who are both just in or around the same age. Brady is whatever he is, two years older. Pitt is no, three yeah. years older. Yeah, um, yeah. Manning's thirty-nine, Brady's thirty-eight, yeah. Palmer's thirty-six. 36. It's it, it, it's a pretty amazing story for a guy like him to maybe go on and, and win a Super Bowl after all that he's been through. Yeah, and all that said, he would be, and by the way, of all those names, you, you mentioned all three guys 36 or older, and then there's Cam Newton, 26 years old, on the other side for Carolina. But yeah, I, I would say of the four quarterbacks that we've talked about here, Palmer would be the lowest uh, likely, the least likely to win a Super Bowl out of those four, even though I, I just praised Arizona for Bruce Arians and, and all that. I, I do feel like they are the shakiest case of the four. So it would be quite a story if he won it, because that would have meant that he would slay, he will have to slay Cam Newton uh, and the excellent Carolina defense in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then if they do that, he'd have to get by either Peyton Manning or Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So I would rate it as a bit of a long shot, but you're right. He has had the rockiest road for sure. Now, he did have success in Cincinnati. We shouldn't write it off too much because he actually did take them to the playoffs and win games for them, but but he suffered a knee injury there and a famous play in the playoffs against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the first play of the game. A guy named Kimo Van Olhoffen dove at his knee, and in fact, it inspired a rule change in the NFL. Defensive linemen can't dive at quarterbacks' knees in the pocket because they're essentially defenseless, and you can ruin a guy's knee and ruin his career. And, and in the ever-increasing safety awareness of the NFL, that's been uh, that's been the sort of the Carson Palmer rule. And uh, he had to rehab for a long time and, and miss. I have to go back and look at the exact stats, but I know he missed at least a full year. And then he became very disenchanted with the Bengals, who have traditionally been one of the worst-owned teams in the NFL. The Brown family, even though they're descended 
from the great, famous, legendary Paul Brown, who founded the Cleveland Browns. And he is, of course, one of the great minds in the history of the NFL. But his descendants have run the Bengals poorly, and Mike Brown is considered a bad owner. And so Carson Palmer didn't want to play for them anymore. And as you mentioned, he retired. He left the game until the Raiders traded for him. Interestingly, it was a guy named Hugh Jackson who traded for him, who's just landed the job as the new Cleveland Browns head coach. But it didn't work out in Oakland, and the Raiders had a variety of problems. They have organizational and institutional problems. So people thought, ah, you know what, Carson Palmer, it's just not going to happen. But here he is in Arizona, reborn in the desert, the phoenix rising from the ashes under the aegis of this great Bruce Arians and his maverick ways and his bold ways. So Palmer is a likable guy. We got to know him a little bit when he was with the Oakland Raiders. He's a likable guy, even though he went to my all-time hated university, USC Trojans. He's an undeniable talent. And you know what's interesting, guys, of the four, and you mentioned it, Kieran, is that uh, Carson Palmer, number one overall pick in the draft, Heisman Trophy winner. Cam Newton, number one overall pick in the draft, Heisman Trophy winner. Peyton Manning, number one overall pick in the draft. Didn't win the Heisman, but finished second in the Heisman Trophy. And then little Tommy Brady. Sixth rounder, 199th pick. But as you noted earlier, Owen, the most emotive of them all, the most angry and driven of them all. And let's not forget, guys, this is the whole year that Brady is proving that deflate gate was a myth, that he doesn't cheat, that he wants to prove every single hater. Remember all the haters? We all tap danced on Brady's grave. I say we. I don't know if I was too much of a hater. I've always enjoyed Brady to a degree. But uh, certainly the Brady haters were out in force this past summer when when it was revealed that he had his balls deflated. Insert joke here. And now he we forget he's still pissed off for greatness from that whole deal. And he's still driven. And you saw it Saturday, the way he emoted against Kansas City. I mean, he's always emotional. But you forget of the four quarterbacks, I'd say he's the most driven and fueled and maniacal because he would love if he gets that Super Bowl trophy and maybe another Super Bowl MVP award. Can you imagine the sense of gratification this guy will have, man? Like, uh, think about the great vengeance acts of all time, man. I mean, whether it's Dirty Harry or uh, uh, who's the uh, Charles Bronson in Death Wish, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan the Barbarian. Think of the great revenge tours of all time. Well, Brady's two games from finishing. His ultimate revenge tour. Which brings me to the question of why the Denver Broncos defenders think it's, uh, as in their players uh, from the defensive team, think it's a good idea to slag him off. We read out some quotes earlier on. Antonio Smith calling him a crybaby. Malik Jackson saying he's definitely one of those whiners that whines. Now, it sounded like the way this is reported, they had smiles on their faces when they were saying this. So uh, quite how serious they were, I don't know. But they still said it, which you just don't, you, you know, you, don't, you rarely, if ever, get that in the sports that we yeah. watch over here regularly, Premier League, GAA, rugby, any of that stuff. It's good stuff, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's kind of, it's added some fuel to the fire. I mean, instead of a boring old week of one day at a time and I have ultimate respect for my opponent, the Broncos are sending a message, man. They're like, hey, you got to come to Denver. Now, historically, Brady has not been, played well in Denver. It's a weird place. Altitude, that crowd is loud. It's cold. Uh, he has lost, I believe the stat is, five out of his six games he's ever played in Mile High. And quietly, Peyton Manning has gotten the better of him twice in AFC title games. Now, 
so much has changed, of course. One of them was 10 years ago, and Peyton Manning is not who he was 10 years ago. He's a diminished man. But, yeah, I love how the Broncos kind of coming in with some swagger. Some young guys saying, hey, Tom Brady, you're coming to our house. You're coming to Denver. You're coming to Mile High Stadium, and you're, you're a crybaby, and you're a whiner. And we had a guy on uh, our buddy Tony Maserati from a Boston radio station on today, and we said, what does the fan base think of that? And he said, well, of course, the fan base is maniacal in their defense. He said, but they're, the Broncos are right. Brady is a bit of a whiner. If you watch him, he does look for flag. He thinks every time he throws a pass that's incomplete, his receiver was interfered with. He thinks every t- time he's been sacked, he's been roughed. But hey, you know what I mean? You know, it's like players who on NBA c- uh, courts who look for fouls. And, of course, so many more eyes on Tom Brady. And so many people want to hate him because he's so good looking. We talked about his uh, pink Himalayan salt last week mm-hmm. and his his tomato-free and mushroom-free diet and Giselle Bungeon and him wearing Uggs and all the things that have made Tom Brady the uber celebrity he is. Of course they're going to hate him. But he does tend to try to work the refs. And that's going to be an angle, guys, too. There's an interesting, for those in the conspiracy world, some people think maybe the NFL would rather see Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, good guy Peyton versus uh, bad guy Tommy. Good guy Peyton, who just had a load of HGH sent to his wife. Isn't that incredible? And by the way, I am totally with you on that. I am fully believing that he had the HGH, but they have effectively the machine that is the NFL has snuffed that out and refused to give that any legs whatsoever. And that thing has been just swept under the rug like nothing else, unlike Deflategate, which was not swept under the rug. So, uh, But the thing is, Ed Hockley is the referee for this game on Sunday, and there's actually a stat that the Boston fans are worried about, that the Broncos are 6-0 and when Ed Hockley referees games in Mile High. So if you're a conspiracy guy, something to keep right. an eye on. We better let you go, Brian, because I know you have to head up the road to Santa Clara there, big press conference today. Chip Kelly, boys, Charles Edward, they call him Chip Kelly out of New Hampshire. And he's uh, he went over to Oregon, ran the Oregon Ducks uh, up the flagpole and won a ton of games, went to the Philadelphia Eagles, was a hero for a season and a half, and then <laughs> drove it into the ditch and was run out of Philadelphia. But the 49ers are banking on the genius of the Chip Kelly's uh, fast-tempo offense to save their floundering franchise. And I'm going to stare him deep in the eyes today. I'm going to see what the man is made of, <laughs> and I'll figure out what's going on. We'll let you go after you give us a prediction. Who are we going to see in the Super Bowl? I still think Tommy Brady's going to do it. I yeah. think Peyton is too diminished, and I think Cam's going to do it. I think we get a big-time old guard versus new guard, Tommy Brady versus Cam Newton, sizzle celebrity Super Bowl right here in the Bay Area, boys. So that's what I'm calling. And presumably the Globetrotters to win, as they often do. Brian, <laughs> listen, enjoy, what, enjoy whatever you do this Sunday. Take care. All right, boys. Take care. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I know a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. James Tony is born. Iran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said, I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. He should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. 
Yeah, I sometimes wonder about these. Tom Brady still getting, still getting it in the neck for deflating a few footballs, mm. just, just, just getting them the way he likes them. Whereas Peyton Manning away scot free from reports that his wife was uh, getting a huge amount of, I don't know about a huge amount, was getting plenty of HGH sent to her by the same doctor who was tr- treating Peyton Manning. But uh, you know, Manning seems to be the golden boy. Yeah. So well, know, I mean, who reported that? Al Qaeda or someone? So well, I mean. that's exactly the way it went. Yeah. Just on, uh, on the Globetrotters when he was when Brian was talking about them. It, actually made me think and there's so much scandal in tennis at the moment mm. maybe that's what they need a little bit more they've got to start doing more of these exhibition games with Illy Nastasi and such characters mm. Henri Leconte I'll get them all back yeah I mean I, well, I'm sure they are still playing around somewhere oh uh, that's a guarantee I would say that Illy Nastasi and Henri Leconte in, uh, in lieu of the after dinner circuit just play mm. indoor tennis games and make humorous comments post, post you know after dinner <laughs> tennis games uh, mic'd up tennis games between Henri Leconte and uh, Ilya Nastasi. I think that's. I, I I presume that's what they're doing on. Oh, well, maybe not, because Ilya Nastasi is a busy man here, Kira. Go on. I've just checked it up. He's uh, in the Romanian parliament, or well, as of last year, he was. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I think he's still probably a little bit of time to make some <laughs> money on the after dinner circuit. The Irish Times second. Ca- that's all the Ilya Nastasi news you get today, by the way, bro. Okay. Don't look at me like that. Just like you no, like no, want some more. Trip feed me. I can hold yeah. on next Monday. The football podcast is out now. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I'm not what you're talking about. What did you want? I like to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to your face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down Swansfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> well, and we talked to Sid Lowe about um, well. How Real Madrid's transfer ban is going to affect them. This was because of the Gareth Bale document leak uh, that uh, came out there, revealing something that we all thought we already knew, which is that Gareth Bale's transfer to Real Madrid was a world record. It turns out Real Madrid have been denying that all along, uh, just to uh, to uh, shield some of their other little fevered egos from the truth. <laughs> One ego in particular. It turned out that it was. Uh, that it was true. So we talked to Sid about that and about the, the implications of the transfer ban, ban and also to Tim Vickery about uh, Jorge Sampaioli, Alex Teixeira and uh, sundry other okay. issues. Okay, Jason Day may be number two in the golf world rankings, but we all know 2016 is about Speed versus McElroy. They finished round one of the Abu Dhabi Championship early on Thursday morning. McElroy hit a 66, a couple of shots better off than Jordan Speed. Jason Sobel, senior golf writer at ESPN, was watching that and is ready to talk about the rivalry that's going to shape the year, we would think, Jason. Speed said afterwards about Rory, it was a masterclass, the Rory that I've seen win major championships. It felt like he was on his A game. So he was very kind, was Jordan, about his rivals round. Did it look that way to you? Yeah, he had everything really going. Uh, drove it very well. Um, to me, and I think to most of us who have observed McElroy over the years, it's never really his ball striking. It's going to come down to his putting. If he putts uh, even just above average, he's going to win golf tournaments. If he putts lights out, forget it. I'm not sure that Jordan Spieth or anybody else in the world can hang with him. And he putted very well in the first round on Abu Dhabi. Uh, that golf course has some terrific greens. Uh, looked like he was reading them very well, as he always has. You wonder if that laser eye surgery that he had just a couple of months ago is going to help him. He said at the time that he was hoping it would help his putting. And so far, it looks like it might be. So, uh, yeah, it looks like all systems go for Rory McIlroy one round into the year. Which of the two is more likely to 
dominate 2016, do you think? I really think it's Rory McIlroy, and I've watched both of them up close for a few years now, and I just think that he has another gear that Jordan Spieth doesn't have, and maybe that has to do with the fact that he can hit it 30 to 40 yards past him off the tee, and Jordan Spieth doesn't short by any means, but Rory McIlroy just hits it so much further that I just think that puts him in better positions to make birdies. Now, uh, Jordan's a better putter, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that, Rory McIlroy included, but I still think that Rory has that extra gear that if one of them is going to be a guy who wins two or three majors this year and six or seven worldwide events, uh, I think it's Rory and not Jordan, but uh, I've doubted Jordan before in the past. Uh, I've seen him look really tired at tournaments. I've seen him look like he doesn't have his best stuff, and he still always proves me wrong. So uh, he may prove me wrong once again here. Yeah, well, McElroy said something quite interesting a few weeks back. He said it'll feel completely different for Jordan this time around. If you just look at the stats, it is very hard to back it up the year type of year that he had last year. There's so much ex- expectation, so much attention and focus. And I think it's more self-inflicted pressure, really, as your expectations are so high. Now, as you say, you've seen a lot of Jordan Spieth. He looks to certainly have the type of personality that would mitigate against that to a certain extent? Or is it impossible to mitigate against uh, the pressures that are involved in, in trying to back up a year like he had last year? You know, I asked him that question. I got a chance to speak with him about a week ago during a conference call. And, and I asked him, uh, he's a goal setter. He's always been a goal setter. But how do you set goals that improve upon last year without setting the bar so high that you can't reach them again? And he said, uh, it's definitely a slippery slope, but... Uh, the goals seem like they're the same. The goals seem like just trying to get himself into position at the major championships. And um, obviously he did that four times last year. He was in position to contend at all four of them, wound up winning two. I think he would take that in a second if he got that chance once again. And um, I, I think that he's uh, certainly primed to have a similar type of year. You just wonder that, uh, if that putter ever leaves him, if that putter goes cold for just a little bit, like I said, I, I think that Rory can overcome putting failures better and easier than Jordan can. It, it just goes to his ball striking. He's a better ball striker. He hits it further. And I, I think that that can sort of bail him out of certain situations a little bit easier than it can for Jordan. Uh, do you think that Rory's time off with the ankle injury uh, and having to sit there and watch Jordan take his world number one ranking, do you think that that would be, play a major part uh, this year in Rory's mind? And that long-term, the ankle injury, while it seemed a bit of a disaster at the time, might actually work to his advantage uh, in that he is, he's had a chance to have a look at Jordan, see what he's done to the... To, it's, you know, ripped up the, 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 the accepted wisdom that this would be Rory's time for the next five or six years and give him an ideal chance to really just refocus... And, and go all out for 2016? I think you're onto something. I think we often overlook just uh, how much of an, a positive impact injuries can have. And I know that sounds really strange, but I remember speaking with Justin Rose a few years ago after he injured his shoulder, and he missed about two or three months, uh, December through February or so. And, and he said that having to sit home and not being able to play and watching everybody else get off to a good start in the year first of all, really motivated him. Second of all, kept him much fresher later in the year when he was usually tired later in the year. He was playing really well. I want to say that was the year that he won the U.S. Open at Marion as well because it all sort of came together for him, having that late start, forcing himself to not be able to hit golf shots early in the year. 
kept him fresher later on, and I think that helped Rory last year. And, yeah, I, I would think that he's more motivated right now having to sit on the couch at home and watch Jordan Spieth play so well at the major championships. And of course, you throw Jason Day in there as well at the end of the year. And I think, sure, he, he says to himself, boy, I, I'm not just going to run away with this thing for the next 10 years. I'm not going to be uh, the best golfer in the world without really working at it. I'm going to have to work to go beat these guys. And uh, I certainly think he's putting in that work now. Jason, we were, we were close to getting what we thought would be an amazing rivalry between Tiger Woods after he came back from well, from one batch of his serious injuries and the off-fields, off-course off stuff. McElroy had already emerged at that stage. Unfortunately, that hasn't ever really developed largely because Tiger just isn't the same player. And they also became very overly friendly, which was slightly disappointing to me. I thought, uh, you, suddenly you're seeing them on Jimmy Fallon together and all this all this stuff, which wasn't exactly what I was expecting. How have Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth uh, talked about their rivalry? Do you feel that they're ready to embrace each other as rivals, or is it easier for them to not think about it in that way? It's really, really difficult, I think, because there are so many other players, and that's the one thing that each of them always brings up, that it's not just Rory and Jordan. It's Jason Day. It's Ricky Fowler. You want to throw in some other young players, Patrick Reed and Brooks Kepka and Hideki Matsuyama, and you're going to see Matthew Fitzpatrick playing some great golf this year. Uh, there are all these really good, really young players. And uh, for Rory to say it's just me and Jordan, or for Jordan to say it's just me and Rory, I think is missing the point. Uh, I, I think to their credit, they haven't done that, besides the fact that, it's so difficult to forge rivalries in this game. We just don't see them. We're, we waited for 20 years for Tiger and Phil to play on the back nine of a major championship. I think really it happened once at the Masters where they're actually in contention, uh, battling head-to-head against each other. But uh, for all of those times when they were playing great golf, it really never came to a head like that. So it's easy for us to sit here right now and say, well, one of them is 20, what, 25, 26 years old, Rory, and he's number two in the world, and, uh, and Jordan's number one, and he's 22 years old, and uh, this is going to be a rivalry for the next 10, 15, 20 years. But these things just don't materialize the way we'd like them to in golf. Uh, obviously, we'd all love to sit here and say uh, three of the four majors this year are going to come down to the two of those players, uh, five clear of everybody else in the leaderboard mm-hmm. on the back nine on Sunday. Let's battle it out and see what they got. But but the game doesn't work that way, and and I would be surprised, quite frankly, to see it uh, happen that way over the next few years. What do you think will happen in 2016? Without necessarily, we don't know specifically, but it's such a big year. You've got the, this. You've got these two golfers. Even if we can't classify it as, uh, as you say, as a rivalry that's going to go down the stretch of the the back nine and the Sunday, the Sundays of each major. But you've got these couple of. Um, but era-defining golfers in still very early in their career. You've got the Ryder Cup, the Olympics, which may or may not be a big deal. It certainly will be in Ireland. We've got McElroy representing Ireland in that. So even though people it has detractors, the fact that maybe it shouldn't even be in there, it's going to be in there. There seems to be a huge opportunity for the sport, maybe the biggest opportunity it's had in the post-Tiger era to make a bit of an impact. I really think that 2016 is the year, and I know all of us know it, and probably a lot of people out there listening understand that this isn't the Tiger era anymore. It's not the Phil era. This is the era of these young players, and and they've shown it over the last few years. I think 2016 is the year that everyone else, sort of outside of the golf industry and outside of the diehard fans, start to understand this. I still get a sense from people that they think Tiger's going to come back from his back injury, and 
play the best golf of his career and still be the number one player. They think that Phil is still uh, inside the top three or four players in the world. And it's just not going to happen. And I think that this is the year when people start to realize that Jordan Spieth was no novelty act last year. Rory McIlroy is in the flash in the pan. These guys aren't going anywhere. These guys are the best in the world. It's not uh, potential. This isn't the future. This is the present. I, I, I think that's going to be a, a big statement in the game going forward. Uh, Jordan Spieth is turning right before our eyes right now from a golf superstar to a an athletic superstar. Uh, he's getting uh, worldwide branding endorsements. Uh, Rory McIlroy already has some of these. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Day and Ricky Fowler follow in their footsteps with some other really big deals. And I think that's going to help usher the game forward into the next decade or so. And it's going to be good for the game. I think we need to move past sort of the previous generation and start to understand collectively that this is what the game is right now. This isn't what the game could be in a few years. This is it. This is the future, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good way of thinking about it. Listen, Jason, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. You got it. Thanks, guys. I suppose if you're comparing golf to other sports and the way that rivalries develop, Jason has a very good point there mm. about the why we all hope these guys will be going at each other, at each other plenty of times over the years. They just m- might not. And Federer, when he was in his pomp and maybe getting a little bit past it, and when Nadal came up, they ended up playing how many times? Eight Grand Slam finals? Yeah. Eight Grand Slam finals against each other. And I'm sure there were semifinals and other reasonably big tournaments around the place as well. So you're seeing the two of them up against each other in the exact same scenario, as opposed to one person sort of being in contention, one being a few clear at the top of the leaderboard. A lot of stars have to align for this McElroy speed rivalry to really take off. Yeah. Or I suppose if one wins one major, another wins another major, they don't necessarily have to be battling yeah. every well, minute I, I every think, round. Yeah, I think what uh, Jason is talking about there is very true in that you want, it, you want to see both... Uh, both of the players playing very well, but also you want to see the the little interactions between the two, the uh, the times when McElroy sinks a putt and uh, Speed has to respond to it. You know, like in a very much in a match play type situation, whereby it's not them uh, competing as the two top golfers in 2016, and at the end of the year, adding up. Okay, Rory's won two majors and three tournaments, and Speed has won one major and four tournaments or whatever. You want to see them actually looking each other in the eye and competing against yeah. each other in that respect. Well, and the, do you know, actually, isn't the Olympics stroke play? I'm almost certain the Olympics is stroke play, which is absolutely yeah. nonsense. It's a, It's got to be a match play tournament and you've got to put Speed together. You've got to have USA versus Ireland, Jordan Speed against Rory McIlroy in the gold medal match. Yeah, yeah, Rather yeah. than just it being structured like another golf tournament. I, I could be corrected on the exact structure, but I'm... 99% certain it's stroke play. You can have a have a little yeah, look I'll, at that there, Murphy. Save my blushes in case I'm wrong before the end of the podcast. No, no, I, 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 I don't think really you're right. care. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be on the record here. So I'm going to edit this out later. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the record here uh, saying that I think it is stroke play, but I would The Irish squad for the Six Nations came out yesterday, Simon, four uncapped players. Although there was a feeling maybe that, that there could have been more, should have been more. Uh, it was a four debutants. Stuart McCloskey is in there. Gary Ringrose isn't. You know, it was about as experimental as you'd expect maybe from Joe Schmidt. Um, given he's lost a couple of major names in Peter Armani and Paul O'Connell. Um, I think maybe Rory Best being named captain was more interesting than the squad. Yeah. Um, it's a 35-man squad, so there is actually room for maybe Ringrose to come in later on in the championship. Um, and we don't know how many of those fringe players are going to be involved in match day squads anyway. But I think Best getting selected kind of tells us a few things. It tells us 
that Joe Schmidt's gone for likability. I think, you know, Roy Best, if you meet him, if you watch him in press conference, and people will see an awful lot more of him over the next few months, you just get this impression of somebody that a broad range of people would really like to be in his company and would listen to what he has to say. Also, like, Roy Best turns 34 this year, so he hasn't gone for Sean O'Brien, he hasn't gone for Sexton or Murray or the other fringe candidates, um, which would indicate to me that maybe when Peter Armani gets healthy again, that Roy Best might lose the captaincy or they, they might do something there. I think it, it's sort of hinting that Peter Armani will come back in. And also the other thing, I think Rory Best, his dealings with referees, um, he's got that sort of uh, warm, open face, which I think is one of those little details that matters up. We talked to Shane Horgan about the captaincy. He thinks it's overblown. But one of the factors, and the reason he picked Sean O'Brien is because they influence referees and your personality is a massive part of that. One of the big European wins they had this season, who did they beat at home? Yeah, Ulster. It's escaped me now anyway. They had a big win. Um, I could have been away from home. But one of the big wins I had afterwards was put down to this halftime speech at Rory Best. Oh, Ajax when they were Oh, that was it. Ajax, it was yeah, the one when yeah, they were 20. Yeah, they won by a point. That was end. it, of course. Yeah, yeah. And they won by a point, come back from 23-0 down or whatever it was. And a couple of the players referenced this amazing speech by Rory Best at halftime. Now, I often wonder about the... If Rory Best isn't giving an inspirational speech at halftime in that game, I'd probably be more worried. But it does sound like he's the kind of guy that people rally around. Uh, does, uh, yeah, I think is, that game was more down to Jackson and Rupinar coming on. <laughs> they, brought, they brought on their best players. Yeah, qu- so. Quantifying the effect a speech has on somebody is always a tricky one. But I think I think people are going to enjoy... Because Rory Best, he's got an honest streak to him as well. So he's not going to give you total dead-back questions in press conference. He might be somebody people have warmed over the next while. Well, I'll just on that, Murph. What sort of stuff do you reckon Rory Best was saying yesterday about the honour of being captain? Do you think he said it was all about him? Uh, first of all, uh, you're about 10 years too late giving me this job, but thanks. <laughs> Joe. Joe, yeah. Uh, second of all, this is a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. I'm at the top of the tree, and all the other players better realise that I'm number one. As for this leadership group, I've disbanded the leadership group. Uh, I'm number one. Uh, and anyone who may have been part of the leadership group, I'm actually going to canvas Joe to get those guys dropped yeah. because I want to make sure that I'm here for a long so say, time. So say Conor Murray takes a quick tap at some stage. He's actually going to call to Joe to have Conor Murray subbed <laughs> off yeah, straight yeah. away. We're going to have to take that man off. Well, Ken's got the actual quotes here. Ken, how close is Murph? Um, <clears throat> close. Uh, what he actually said was, I know how I know how unbelievably lucky I am to do it to take over from a captain like Paulie, but also to captain a squad that has so many good leaders in it. <laughs> if you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and you have a minute spare after this, oh no, hang on. Oh, you're never reading it. <laughs> my reminder at oh, the sorry, end, my yeah, prompt. That wasn't from that's nice, Rory, isn't it? To mention Sarah the Palin would yeah. not be happy that I had to write that down and couldn't just. <laughs> pluck it you're off the top obviously of my head. lying, on. Yeah. You've got something to hide. Will I just get to that bit then? Are we finished? Ah, sure. All right, if you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes and you have a minute to spare after this, please rate us, comment about the show. It won't actually take a minute. Did I say a minute? It'll take, what, 11 seconds? Less to get a, Depends on your broadband. Two seconds. If you just, yeah, I'd say you could get it done in two seconds. So if you do have two seconds to spare and you like the show, then uh, just have a word with the, the good people on iTunes there. Oh, am I right before we wrap up, Murph, about the Olympics? Are you going to say? Yes, you're absolutely right on. Congratulations and well done. It is a stroke play 72 uh, tournament. That is... Nonsense. It's annoying, yeah. Isn't it? It's annoying, yeah. It's the Olympic Games for you. Oh, so, but it could just be over by... Speed could be eight shots ahead going into the last round and they're, the thing could be completely devoid of drama. Or McElroy could be, in which case we just have an amazing day watching an Irish golfer uh, romp home to an yeah. Olympic gold medal. Yeah, let, let's go with that. Thanks very much, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Take a while. Thanks, Ken. Uh, thank you, Owen. Oh, by the way, Owen, there's just Thanks, a little Simon. piece of news Thanks, on some, uh, some stuff that we had earlier. You know the whole... 
uh, controversy in Italy between Roberto Mancino and Maurizio Sarri. Yeah, this the, is from uh, the football podcast. He was there was, there was a homophobic slur aimed at. So he's uh, his punishment has been as he's been banned for two matches. That was what this Roberto Mancini predicted. Yeah, so this is not Roberto Mancini he hasn't been banned. No, the, the other manager who Maurizio said Sarri it to Mancini. Not pretty much banned for two matches and fined twenty thousand euros. Oh, so as predicted by Mancini. Indeed. Mancini said this should be a four month ban, but it'll we all know it'll just end up being a two week ban. Yeah, it will be. It will be two two matches. He said. He, I don't think he mentioned uh, the twenty thousand euro fine, but mm. he got a twenty thousand euro fine. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thanks, everybody. Well. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 